0: All my lovely listeners, welcome to the Rochester Groovecast Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Albert. I don't want to talk too much in the intro here, I do want to get straight to the conversation, but I want to introduce my guest on the show, Mary Lupian. Mary is one of our candidates for Rochester City Council. This is the first time I've had a public servant on the show. I'm happy to change the format up a little bit, plan on having more, let's say, non music based guests on the show. You know, Rochester Groovecast's mission is to support local business, music and beyond. And Mary Lupian has dedicated her life to being a public servant and has done so much for the community. Please do listen to her story. It's a fascinating one. Enjoy it. Here is me and Mary Lupian. So I'm here with Mary Lupian. She's she's running for Rochester City Council. And wow, this is the first time I've had a politician on the show.
1: Wait, hey, I'm not a politician.
0: <laughs> then go ahead and introduce yourself sure. so I don't. Yeah, you,
1: no, it's, uh, I just had this conversation. You just don't with feel that
0: way. Right. Um,
1: yeah, so my name is Mary Lupian, I'm running for city council, but yes. I see myself as running to be a public servant and not a politician. Politician has such a negative connotation in, some, in so many of our minds. And I think it's because that's what they've embodied is someone that gets into office and forgets about the people and is about personal gain. And that's not what I'm about at all. I'm a grassroots activist that's in this for the sole reason of making my community better and uh, making a little foothold in making the world better.
0: So you're a public servant, not a politician. I love (laughs) it. And so Rochester City Council, just before we get into your story, how, how does that work? How many how many members get voted into city council? Yeah,
1: you are not the only person that has no <laughs> idea how our government works, and neither did I two years and ago.
0: I'll tell you straight up, I'm a little ignorant to it, but that's why I'm happy we're having this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So, a lot yeah, of um, people can learn.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we should be learning about it. But there are nine members of Rochester City Council. Five of them are at large, which means that they cover the whole city as their district, and that's what's up for re-election this year. And then there's four district city council people who will be up in two years. And there's one for each of the four quadrants of the city. And who is running this year for re-election is Loretta Scott, Dana Miller, and Jackie Ortiz. And then Carolee Conklin and Matt Haig are stepping down this year. So there's two open seats, which is part of why so many people are running for city council this year. Because it's always easier to get in when you're not running against an incumbent, somebody who's running for re-election. Yeah. And with two people this year, so we have at least 14 people running. And I think that there's more that I've heard that are going to try and make it as well. So Mm -hmm. it's a crowded field, but there's five seats open.
0: Got it. Yeah. So five out of the 14 will get elected. Five out of
1: nine.
0: Five out of nine. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And you are one of those people running.
1: Yes, I am. I was the first person running because I've been doing this for a year.
0: Okay. So you've been planning this for a while to, yeah. to run. And- I
1: haven't, I haven't. So I, w- I'm a community activist and I've been working at soup kitchens and homeless shelters and fighting against climate change and Black Lives Matter marches and immigration and just you know fighting for every cause that needs to move forward. Um, and then Bernie. Mm-hmm. And so I got very involved in Bernie and we started organizing out of my living room, which we're in right now, and that grew into... A countywide campaign, and we had an office around the corner from us. I was a delegate, and you know, really, Bernie's message was, "It's not about me; it's about us." And if you Mm -hmm. want change, go home and make it in your city and run for local office. And actually, had the opportunity to meet with other people from the community in Rochester and Buffalo and Syracuse that were running for office with Bernie. And he said that to me. He said, "You know, if I can do it, you can do it. Mm -hmm. You can run for office, and you're going to win." And I'm like, okay, okay, Bernie. (laughs) But really, so that was my starting point. So Bernie was, God, it's like a rush, but a year and a half ago, two years ago. So I have not been planning this for very long. If you would have asked me then, if I would Mm -hmm. run for office, I would have said, absolutely not, you're crazy. But I see now that if you really want to make change happen and you feel like you have the drive and the network then it is your responsibility to run for office so that you can get in there and fix the systemic issues that are keeping people in poverty and you know perpetuating these institutions of injustice. So I Bernie ended um, in April, and I rolled it right into this. So um, my first volunteer mo- meeting was in June of last year, and normally candidates don't start running until. January through March so I was the first because I started super early and mm-hmm. because of that my campaign has had different phases you know in the beginning um, there were fewer people and we had we were doing fewer things and now you know I've built this really amazing team of really motivated and talented young people but also older people mm-hmm. um, that are we, we have an incredible organization um, we've got you know directors and coordinators and, you know, hundreds of volunteers and 300 individual people have donated to my campaign. So So much
0: momentum. It is. It's
1: incredibly exciting and weird for me to be, like, the center of it all Mm -hmm. because I'm not usually that kind of person, but I really do see it that way is that Mm -hmm. I'm just the representative of all of us who's stamping out front, but it's about all of us. It's not about me.
0: Team effort in that regard. Absolutely. That's amazing. So you hadn't even thought about you know,
1: never. <laughs> I voted, yeah, but I was one of those people that didn't really think my vote mattered. I thought they're going to sure. do the system's going to do what the system's going to do. and I'll vote. But I didn't know my, I didn't know who my, uh, who I was voting for, to be mm-hmm. honest. You know, I remember voting for Malik Evans, not because I knew him, but only because his name sounded like he was a black man. And I thought we needed more diversity in office. And I think a lot of people vote that way. Mm-hmm. Um, But now, you know, it's so important to know who we're voting for, but there's a barrier. You know, One of the things that I learned is that you only get your door knocked on by candidates if they know you vote. And so if you don't vote consistently, they're not coming to your door to introduce themselves, and mm. you don't get to know who they are, and they're not sending mail to your house. And, and I understand that as a candidate, you don't have a lot of time and money, and so you have to focus on those people you know who are going to vote. But the Democratic Party as a whole isn't filling in the gap. We need to be knocking on doors and not just at election time about issues and about community meetings and about how ideas of how we're going to make our community better, but they're not doing that. And that's part of why we're, we're so broken and in the spot that we're in right now.
0: Wow. So where, where would I go to get involved or where would I go just to learn more, um, to, to educate myself and kind of, have a better understanding of... Because they aren't knocking on my door. Right. So it's kind of my job to go and educate myself at times.
1: Well, the other part of that is, in the city of Rochester, if you really want to have a voice, you have to be a Democrat. And so if you're a blank, if you're a green or an an independent or working families party, that's why they're not coming to your door because you can't vote in the primary. Mm. And what happens is in Rochester, Republicans don't run because... They know better, and so in a pri- in a primary, you know, you're making the choice for the Democratic uh, candidates, and whoever wins always go on to win the general. Because when you're just up against third party uh, candidates, th- you don't have a chance. You
0: Unfortunately, know? but right, yeah, that right. does and, make a lot of I sense.
1: And I was a Green Party member before I switched to be a Democrat for Bernie, so I totally understand the need for getting beyond the two party system. But the way that I see it now is that in order to get beyond the two-party system, we have to go through the two parties to make those changes. And there's, there's some technical things like, you know, uh, proportionate representation that would help us have a healthy multi-party system where it's not winner takes all. And, uh, you know, if the green party gets 13%, then they get 13% of the people in Congress. And that would make a much more fertile environment for multi-parties. So, but we can't do that without going through the system that we have. Um, so yes, where you would go to get hmm. more information, uh, the the city's website actually has um, a good deal of information about what city council does, um, who the members are, you know what they're supposed to do, their contact information. So that's cityofrochester.gov. Um, but there is a gap in in just basic civic understanding because it's not taught in schools anymore. It's not something that's really valued, other than just you know doing your responsibility in voting
0: do you think that's controversial to be teaching that in schools or
1: um maybe not how the government works but once you start getting into talking about any kind of like current events then Mm -hmm. yeah you start getting controversial um yeah everyone wants to stay away from that but if we don't address it in our public institutions how how are our children going to know Mm-hmm. You know, even the presidential election, you're like, we don't, we don't talk about that. And I remember when I was a kid, you know, we were, we talked about the Gulf War, and we talked about Bush, and I remember... Yeah, I
0: believe I did, too. Bush number and
1: one. I remember talking about that, but now, you know, it's just, it's left out it Seems kind of taboo.
0: Yeah. To, to be talking to schools, but I think you might be right that it would good to at least talk about how the government works yeah. and you know, help teach those, teach people where to go to learn more themselves. Yeah. Maybe without not, without taking a stance. Right. Um, and just. Cause you're, you are a substitute teacher, right? I am. Yeah. Okay.
1: This year, this is okay. new. <laughs>
0: for, for the audience, I didn't really do any research because i wanted to come in on a blank slate Mm -hmm. but i do know that about you yeah so you just started this year
1: i did um i worked at saint peter's soup kitchen before that for the last two years and uh, they are a catholic organization and i didn't really ask them what they thought about me running for office but over the course of time it became clear that it was a little uncomfortable for them that they were going to be kind of like put in the spotlight in a way. Hmm. Um, and just, you know, there were five C three, they did felt nervous about it. So I have a really great oh. relationship with St. Peter's. I've actually worked there twice. Um, I worked there back in 2007 and you know, they they always have open arms. So I'm, I'm stepping away for now. And substitute teaching is not something that I ha- again, ever thought that mm-hmm. I would do
0: reinventing yourself. Right.
1: And <laughs> It's really going where I could do good work. And I knew that there was a shortage of substitute teachers. And I knew especially that there weren't any that many that spoke Spanish, which I do. And so I, I really felt like I could do some good. And it's been an incredible experience to be a substitute teacher. You have put in some pretty interesting situations. Mm-hmm. And so many times I'll show up to a school and they'll be like, Good luck. Because, you know, the kids have behavior issues, but it's yeah. it's all about how you approach the situation. And if you go in thinking that they're bad kids, then you're going to have a terrible day. And I've had some terrible days, but, it, you know, it's not the kids. It's me, honestly. You know, when they have a teacher who doesn't, you know, doesn't have training on this, doesn't know the routine, of course they're going to have behavior issues. And I, I really take the credit for that. And, you know, it's... When the kids are presented with a teacher who's well-prepared and, you know, understands the material, they succeed. And mm-hmm. I've been in the same classroom since April at School 28 with an incredible teacher. And I see what a difference it makes for a teacher. that's really invested in the kids, treats them like family, really has thought about how they learn and has altered her teaching style to accommodate that you know and she's from Puerto Rico and the kids are from Puerto Rico and so they share kind of that cultural background Mm -hmm. and there are four different levels in that class ranging from actually classified as mentally retarded to kids that are college bound and she handles it with grace and I just there's so much that we can do with these kids in the school and it gives me hope
0: Wow um, I'm thinking to myself in I'm going to digress a little bit. There's a book. It's called Marva's Way. Hmm. It's by Marva Collins. But I actually, um, I read it in positive psychology class. Mm-hmm. And really what it's about, and I'll actually, I'll let you borrow it. Yeah, or If okay. anyone is listening and wants to borrow it, it's okay. a great book. Because um, she she teaches, you know, underdeveloped children, um, ages like 6 to 12. And she came into the, the class and people were reading it barely reading you know at a very low level but she you know nurtured them mm. she was incredibly positive and supportive yeah. you know she touched them in a friendly way like she patted them on the back she hugged them sometimes they just needed love yeah and she took this the the books about you know a 2 3 years of her teaching career how she took people at like a second grade reading level, and they were reading and citing Shakespeare two years later, because wow. they were such smart kids, but they needed that that confidence and love from their right from their professor. Yeah. So
1: somebody that believes they can do more than they are doing, and it's um, I'm going to botch this quote, sure, but it was in her classroom that she had posted, and it was like. My teacher believed that I could do more than I can, so I did. And oh, I just thought yeah. that that was so poetic and true. You know, when you hold someone to a high expectation, they meet it. But mm-hmm. if you go in with low expectations, that's what they're going to meet.
0: So you have high expectations for the Rochester community. I do.
1: <laughs> I do. And and for the public officials that are supposed to be serving the public. Um, you know, and I don't necessarily have a lot of criticism for the sitting sitting council members you know there are probably some things i could say but um you know the biggest thing is that we really need to be in the community engaging the people and we haven't been doing a good job of that all around you know we we hold community meetings in places that aren't necessarily accessible by transportation or at hours where people work, and then we say that we ask the community, but that's not good enough. You know, we need to go to them. I also heard another, another beautiful quote. It's like, we can't expect people to come to our table, we have to go to their table. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in the situations that people are dealing with in the city, we really can't expect them to come and meet us at City Hall for a public input meeting. That's just not gonna fit in many people's lives. So if we really wanna know what the community thinks, we have to go to them.
0: It would be awesome. Maybe they do this, but if if there is more forums over Skype potentially yeah, or
1: technology conversations over
0: Twitter, text Facebook surveys. groups, text surveys, because yeah. um, that is a thing, you know, it. I've never been to any of these community meetings right. myself, and I think it starts with I don't really hear or know about them, mm-hmm. but right. I... I know for a fact, like, if you could just add me to a Facebook group, I'd take a look here and then.
1: Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of different methods that yeah. we can employ, for sure. Um, and, and I feel like when the city wants to get news out about something, they do it. Sure. And they don't really try very hard for these these meetings. And I and I get that there's a lot of them, and um, maybe it doesn't make sense to spend a lot of money to promote everyone. But the way that I see it is, you know, we as city com- council members, should be engaging the community in a way where they're, they're helping share the work. You know, we're their representatives, but we can't do anything alone. We have to work together. And so how can we mobilize networks of people to, sh- to spread information? You know, can we have a neighborhood captain that, you know, is responsible for getting the word out in their block or, you know, there's, there's definitely ways.
0: But we're gonna have to do it as a team. Absolutely. And it's definitely it's a it's a community effort.
1: Yeah, it has to be.
0: Well, so I I'm not quite sure what to ask you offhand. Sure. I'm just being honest. I'm yeah. just talking out loud. Well
1: I can talk um, about you know what, how I got here.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'd like to know a little bit more about how you got here Yeah. and where you see yourself in the campaign in the city going.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um my story, uh, which I actually talked about in my TED talk, which I did in March. Um, I started out like you know most privileged white kids. You know, I went to a good school. I went to Catholic school actually, and then you know college was just you know, you float down the stream and you end up in college. You don't really think about it; it's expected. And mm-hmm. um, I wound, I wound up at RIT studying information technology only because I read it on a list of jobs once and it made a lot of money and I saw The Net, the movie mm-hmm. The Net with Sandra Bullock and I, I thought that was it. cool.
0: <laughs> Is she a information technologist?
1: Or? No, she's a oh. an actress and okay. in this movie The Net it was like before the internet was really a thing and okay. she could order pizza on the computer and I was like, okay, that's what I want to do. I don't know, it's silly. but
0: It's funny how... So many of our life stories, uh, our life um, choices, sometimes come down to goofy things like right. that. Though it's quirky. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, so I ended up at um, RIT studying information information technology, which isn't a field many girls study. So that was an interesting experience. Hmm. Um, and I left. Uh, I graduated, and I ended up um, marrying someone that was from here. So I stayed. Um, which actually I didn't think that I would. At that time, Rochester was much colder than it is now. Thank you, climate change. Um, And I thought I wanted to live in California. But I stayed, and um, I worked in a software engineering company locally, uh, Zealous, in Fairport. And I did that for three years, and I just kind of mindlessly went along. And and worked my 8 hours a day and came home to my house in the suburbs and my two cars and my American dream that I thought was going to make me happy. And then in 2004 when the tsunami hit Asia, it just shook everything. The I you know, I feel things very deeply and the loss of 500,000 lives in a second made me just really realize that nothing that I had was really that important and it could be taken away and what would I have I wouldn't you know I'm not doing anything to make the world a better place and I just you know I sat on the couch like really depressed for a week and I watched the TV coverage and I just felt like I want to help I want to do something and so I started looking online and I found the Red Cross and Habitat for Humanity which took me to Sri Lanka to build houses but even there I saw that I wasn't really making a difference because you know, we paid like $2,000 to go on this trip, and we weren't really doing the building. Then the people who live there were doing the building. We would build for like two hours and then go have a two hour lunch and then come back and do a little work and then go sightseeing while they worked the whole time. And I just felt like, okay, if you can I want to. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were tourists. Yeah. And so I, I really felt like, okay, I got to go back and figure out what I can do at home. And I. Um, joined a million organizations like every committee I could think of I was on and I was you know doing fundraisers and you know helping put up farmers markets and just anything and I burned myself out real quick um and then I ended up uh going to Guatemala for a trip and while I was just just for fun no it wasn't for fun um it was (laughs) It was through my church at the time. Okay. They had a well down there, and they were sending people down to dedicate the well. Oh, wow. And so it was actually with this um, organization that's called Global Awareness Through Experience. And so it wasn't a service trip, and it wasn't tourism, but it was about learning about the injustices that went on in Guatemala, which there were many, thanks to us, and, you know... uh, (laughs) We we installed a brutal dictator that launched a 35 year civil war against the indigenous um, over corporations and it just and we visited organizations that were doing good work and I down there I just got this this overwhelming you know pull to stay and and to work and so I came back and. Um, my husband and I got divorced um, partially because like the day that I got back, I realized that that's what I wanted to do. And I knew that um, I couldn't stay married and do it. And, he had come to the same conclusion and it was just like this amazing, joyous mutual decision. Yeah,
0: when you made when you said my husband I got divorced, you kind of yeah. had a smile on your face well, was like, <laughs> <laughs> but so it was like a mutual it was
1: amazing. It was like a miracle like that huh. we both came to the same decision at the same exact time and we're still friends.
0: almost like a stroke of fate in a yeah. sense yeah.
1: yeah, like we were released from each other and you know he's got a family now and I have a f- beautiful family. Um, but then I went back to Guatemala to work. And um, to,
0: were you going to live there officially? Uh, I
1: don't, don't really know what I was planning on doing to okay. be honest, but I went down there to work in a program called um, safe passage, which works with children who are um, in the garbage, in the garbage dump with their parents who are sorting, collecting recyclables to make money. And so mm-hmm. this program um, would take them and it's like a daycare and a school program. So I worked with babies and it was amazing and, I really cut the bug for just serving and and living simply, really. Because in Guatemala, you know, even the middle-class families live uh, in a very, very simple way. Um, And I met my daughter's father there. Um, My daughter is half Guatemalan. And he was actually indigenous. And so learning from their way of life, which is, you know, hand-washing your clothes in a pila and you know, grinding your own corn and coffee. And, and it was beautiful. And so, you know, I I continue to try and strive to live simply. You know, we um, we hang out our laundry and we, you know, do as much uh, sustainably as we can. Um, and yeah, so anyway, sorry, long story short. Ooh, um, you're, you're fine. <laughs> um, but I, I came back and I, I couldn't work for... A corporation again, and I just wanted to do something that served my community, and so I was working at Catholic Family Center.
0: And when was it that you got back from Guatemala? Then
1: that was I went back and forth for a while. Um, I went. I started in 2008, and then I was finally back for good in 2010. Halfway through 2010. Okay. So I was working at Catholic Family Center and mm-hmm. um, ended up on their poverty initiative team. Um, trying to explore how we can fight root causes of poverty, which ended up rolling into the Rochester Anti Poverty Initiative, which is our MAPI for short. Um, but somewhere in there, you know, I got recruited back to go work at the soup kitchen again, mm-hmm. and so uh, there I was. And mm. there I was when Bernie came along, and yeah, uh, it was an incredible place to be during the Bernie campaign, because I was working directly with people who were suffering and suffering from the exact same things that he was talking about and getting to talk to them about the political situation and how many people had incredible insights. And, you know, that's what I want to bring to city council is the perspective and insights of people who are suffering from the system that we currently have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are not that many politicians that have spent time and built relationships and friendships with the people who are struggling in our city. And, and I, you know, I really think that not having their perspective at the table, we don't really understand how to solve some of the problems if we don't know what they are. You know, How many um, of our white city council members know that um, black young men get stopped for not wearing helmets or having bells on their bicycle by our police force and you know that that people are afraid to leave their house around uh around election time because the police are looking to bolster their numbers of arrests you know it's those kind of things that if you don't have visibility of,
0: ex, explain that a little bit better why would they why during election time are they looking to bolster their numbers of arrests what?
1: um to say that they're being tough on crime
0: huh
1: so, you know, I, I learned that from a friend of mine. I would have never
0: even thought that I, that would connect to, you like, know, an election. You and know? it took me
1: some time it, to understand it, too, because um, a friend of mine who uh, spent some time in prison and was out, he was on parole, and he was um, he was telling me, he's like, well, I need to go to the store, but I didn't dare go out. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, it's election time. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? I'm like... He's like, well, the police, the you know, they're they're looking to to pick up their numbers, and and I I wasn't sure if he was talking, you know, that he was afraid that they were trying to um, deter people from voting, but no, it's it's a it's a tough on crime thing, so it's definitely not something that I would have ever had a perspective of if I hadn't had a relationship with someone who mm-hmm. felt comfortable enough to tell me about it.
0: Well, yeah,
1: yeah. so. Um, Right. So all of that has led me to where I am today, which, you know, is just understanding that, you know, we're at a critical moment in history and we don't have the luxury of sitting around and waiting for someone else to solve our problems. You know, on a local level, and a national level, things are dire. And, you know, especially with climate change, we're talking about the literal extinction of humanity, and it's hard for people to deal with that reality. But, you know, I'm, I'm a member of Mothers Out Front, which is a, a climate change organization, you know, fighting for our children, basically. And um, if we don't act locally on climate, you know, we all need to be doing that on every level of government and our personal level. And now, you know, it's very clear that no one's going to do it for us at the national level. And there's no one that's running that considers climate change a top priority. And that's scary to me because yes, all of the other social issues are important and they're immediate and people are struggling just to survive but in five years or 10 years when you know, Rochester is a really well situated place, we, we, we are high ground, we have water, we don't get killed by our, our weather, you know, we're not gonna get um, a lot of flooding People are going to come here when other areas of the the country are uninhabitable. And so, what does that look like when we're getting overcrowding and we're having you know higher housing prices and higher food prices and you know every social situation is going to be exacerbated by it? So it's really like we have to address all those other things, but we also have to be fighting against climate change because everything else depends on it.
0: Mm-hmm. It's it's a long term stability kind of thing, right? and it has to happen locally because yeah everything begins local um yeah. and that makes sense it, at the very least now. the very least um it it seems like it would be nice to kind of lead by example in that regard yeah cuz i think in many ways rochester is incredibly progressive and and does lead by example yeah. so so and we,
1: we have a really uh, incredible opportunity to be the renewable energy manufacturing capital mm-hmm. of the country. We've got a lot of the right pieces and you know especially with like solar city going in, in Buffalo and we've got photonics coming which is a key component of solar panels and we have RIT which has just been named a lead in a clean manufacturing consortium in the country and we've got, um, Kodak Park and Mount Reed where we've kind of got the bones of this infrastructure and we've got all these universities with the brains it's all here
0: mm-hmm.
1: and those jobs are good paying and potentially union jobs where it could be employing our city and make a difference in climate change and it's all about the like multiple function solutions that by by doing that one thing you're impacting Many areas, you know, you're impacting employment, you're impacting Mm -hmm. climate change, you're impacting, uh, economics. So it's, it's,
0: yeah, you got to think kind of like a domino effect where, yeah, yeah. So is that what, what is, sorry, my voice is going hoarse. (laughs) Is, is that that one of your top priorities, if you could name a top three to five, yeah. What do you think are the the top priorities in your campaign? What the city needs to focus on?
1: Well, the things that I outline in my platform directly are improving transportation, strengthening neighborhoods, and connecting people to living wage jobs. And those are kind of like center issues that Mm -hmm. affect many things. Like transportation is such a barrier to people in poverty that don't have cars, and even if they do have a car, it can be a quarter to a half of your income to maintain it. Um, It's like another child. You have to feed it. You have to find a place to put it, you know, and it's many other cities. When you walk out your door, you don't have to think about how you're going to get to where you need to go. Mm -hmm. And in Rochester, that can take days of planning. And you don't get to live any kind of a spontaneous life. You have to, You know, really plan out how you're going to get to where you go. And God help you if you've got more than one place to go in a day.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And some of the, you know, um, loops that we make our people jump through to get social services can be, you know, three or four appointments in the same day and going from here to there and here to there to get this paper and that paper and this thing signed. And it's too much. And sometimes people just give up. And that's exactly what they want you to do. You know, it's. It's not a secret that a couple of years ago the county executive put in all of these measures so that to to save money and decrease services. So, how can we make transportation better so that people can at least get to where they need to go? And that could be a medical appointment. You know, our elderly are skipping appointments because they don't have the fifteen dollars to pay for the the medical cabs, and you know, young mothers are missing well child visits because. You know how? How do you go with a newborn on a bus? You know, like that's incredibly stressful. Yeah. And you know they're they're not getting access to fresh food because the grocery store is too far away, and you know it's just easier to go to the corner store. And how do you find a job? Man, when you go on a job search, you're you're stopping at all these different locations. It's impossible to do without a car. Some and, jobs
0: won't hire you without the car Right, either. right, yeah. union
1: jobs. It's a huge barrier to union employment, which is a path out of poverty. Mm-hmm. But you need to be able to get to sometimes Brockport or Buffalo, depending on where the job is. We need to fix transportation. Um, but it also, you know, leaving your car at home is a, is a key to vibrancy in a city, getting people on the sidewalks, making it safer for people to walk and bike. And so that's transportation also affects our downtown development and the vibrancy of our city and mm-hmm. attracting, um, new companies to locate in downtown Rochester because our parking situation is a mess. And the answer isn't build more parking. The answer is allow people to leave their cars at home and incentives to get people carpool to, and carpool and, 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 and incentives, you know, to get you know, like companies can give out bus passes mm-hmm. instead of paying for a parking spot. And, there's just so much we could do there. The bike share program is really exciting that's coming in, um, and then that third component is when you leave your car at home, you're helping climate change mm-hmm. um, by not putting your emissions in the atmosphere. So um, you know, the same with strengthening neighborhoods and living wage jobs. They by helping people with those things, and they they affect every aspect of your life. So, um, but climate change for me. Is always a driving force because mm-hmm. I have children and I want them to have a livable future that isn't and
0: terrifying. And their children and yeah. their children's children. Yeah. And their. It's right. it just because something doesn't affect us right now, we, we have to look for.
1: Yeah. It is affecting <laughs> us right now. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah. Like 10 years ago, you could have said that. But now, like, it's deadly obvious that it's here and it, it's. Yeah. My children are going to be. <laughs> It's like, it makes me cry sometimes. Like, why in all of history is it my kids that are going to have to deal with climate change in in a very, very serious way? But, you know, I'm arming them with the knowledge that they need and showing them how to advocate and be change makers in their community. And I hope that I pass that on.
0: Mm -hmm. Let's say it's always been the dream that your children have a better life than you did. Right. And we're at a weird age, you know, not not to be cynical, but um, a lot of people my age and below feel like they kinda didn't get what they they expected. you know, you go to school, you end up with debt, yeah. um, you're struggling to get a job, yeah. maybe you have kids, and it's it's tough. I, I do I don't have kids, but yeah. I want them to have an amazing life, like a way better life than I had. Yeah. And it all starts with, yeah, fixing these very serious problems, yeah. I guess. so.
1: And I think that we have to change our idea of what that better life looks like. You know, okay. I feel like for generations, that better life meant more things, bigger things, more bigger houses. big,
0: more... Right. Faster cars.
1: Right. And we've hit our max. Like, <laughs> even if we figure out renewable energy on a large scale, we can't continue to consume the way that we've been. and. We've forgotten that human connection and relationship and community are the things that really make humans happy. And all these gadgets and things that we've found in our lives to take away the manual chores, what have we replaced it with? Not enjoyable things. It's more busy and oh I gotta work more and you know, I I find it incredibly meditative to hang up my laundry. And that's, you know, Mm. something that's seen as an inconvenience. But I think we've forgotten the things that actually make us happy. Mm -hmm. So a better life for my my daughters. You know, I hope that they, you know, do more things for themselves, that they learn how to bake bread and knit their own socks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, take time to know their neighbors and, and build relationships
0: with people. Those simple things. Yeah generally don't cost too much.
1: Exactly. Yeah. But we've been brainwashed into thinking that money makes us happy and so we work harder to get more of it and yeah. that doesn't work so well.
0: It's I I can't totally knock technology and I don't I no. don't think anyone can because it's yeah. amazing the the, the information and yeah. the connections we can make and um Using Bernie Sanders as an example, right. he wouldn't have gained nearly that much momentum no. if it wasn't for technology. Right. But, but 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 Facebook. <laughs> but, but we like totally yes. can't forget about right. those those simple yeah. things that make us happy and hey, make make the community stronger.
1: Right, and it's it's balance and moderation. Like you know, spending an hour on Facebook, you know. Going through the rabbit holes of different people's statuses, like does that really make me feel more connected, or would a conversation actually, you know, fill that void for me? Um, but you're right; like it's incredibly useful and it's helping um, communities organize and you know, medical advancement. It's, mm-hmm. it's just like how do we use technology in a healthy way?
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't have the answer. Right I don't know. know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that serves humanity instead of. You know, taking our humanity away.
0: Yeah, maybe we're we're part of that that turn in the curve, though, where yeah. people are starting to see and feel that way. And if ethically and politically and just our whole system were to change their mindset, mm-hmm. I mean, the things we can do are just incredible. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I feel that. Even you know, the last five ten years, there's definitely a turning point in people's consciousness where we're, we're realizing that. Um, you know, maybe it's just like, it, it's interesting how many things are converging at the same time, you know, like all of our, our movements are kind of coming to a, a head and, um, you know, like government and the climate and, you know, mm-hmm. all these issues are just kind of like at a fever pitch and, and I'm, I'm happy for it because once we're able to look our problems in the face, and not ignore them, then we can change them. So it's it's good that all of this is coming up now, and it's in the national conversation, because then we have the opportunity to make a change.
0: Absolutely. Well, wow. See, I, I know little about you, mm-hmm. but it seems like we're on the same page.
1: I would say
0: so. <laughs> I, you care about the community. Yeah. And um, let's talk about voting. So. Yeah. How does it work? When are the primaries? Yeah,
1: the primaries in Rochester are September 12th. Okay. And there's a lot up at stake uh, this year. There's a mayoral election. There's five city council seats. There's three school board seats. There is a sheriff. um, There's a a handful of other Mm -hmm. um, races. It's... And the mayor's race this year, especially, too, is very... um, volatile, I guess I'll say. You know, there's uh, two different factions in the Democratic Party and they're at war with each other and they're split along racial lines. I was out um, gathering petition signatures, which is like another thing people don't know about, that we all have to get a thousand signatures to be able to get on the ballot. and Nobody's guaranteed a spot on the ballot. You gotta work for it. And I knocked on somebody's door today and I said I was running for city council, and her first question was, whose side are you on?
0: Oh, between the two. Right. I didn't even have to ask.
1: I knew. She's talking about the mayors. Yeah. And Lovely Warren is um, part of the kind of faction most aligned with David Gant, and Jim Shepard is part of the faction that traditionally has been more aligned with Joe Morelli, who is an assemblyman. Actually, they're both assemblymen. Um, and, you know, whether or not that's true, but it goes back to, far to um you know on one side it's you know being fed up with feeling like they've been used by the party and not given a seat at the table and that they've done all the work and um you know and lovely warren when she run won the primary in 2013 um she was uh told that you know she she had cleared with the powers that be that she wanted to run for office and she was told that that was going to happen in 2013 and then it turned out that um, Tom Richards wanted to run and um, that created a lot of bad blood and when Lovely Warren actually won the primary, people in the party ran a writing campaign against her and for the Democrats, like going against somebody who's won the primary is blasphemy and so it created this rift and definitely along racial lines where, you know, most people of color were with Lovely, and now um, most of the people who are white are with Jim Shepard. And Jim Shepard is being supported by the same people that supported Tom Richards in that last election. And so this is where a lot of the animosity is coming from. Wow. Yeah. And so this mayor of race is has in my mind so little to do with who the candidates are and what they're talking about, but goes into who they represent to people in the community. And, you know, it's difficult to make a decision. And many people that haven't, you know, that aren't in factions are really confused on who to vote for this year. Um, so, uh, that kind of political rift exists and it's to the detriment of the party. Um, the party's not very strong right now. Um, you know, in past years it used to bring in thousands and thousands of dollars in fundraising. And, um, since Lovie Warren has been in office, a lot of that fundraising that ch- typically went to the democratic party has now gone to her and she's got this gigantic $250,000, um, you know, campaign finance account. Um, so she <laughs> is very well financed. Um, it's a lot
0: of money for if, a local election, it's a lot what? of money. Huh.
1: So, um, And you know, a lot of that comes from developers, and there's um, no—that's not a secret. You know, if you saw the mayor's ball fundraiser, ninety percent of the people throwing that fundraiser were builders and developers, and so that's that's. And they're trying
0: to build a casino.
1: Um, not (laughs) anymore. (laughs) They were. Um, Now they're trying to build a performing arts center. Okay. Which you know that the chairman of the board of the Rochester Broadway theater league is Ernie Rothschild. And he's someone that's given lovely one, a lot of money. And so like, it's just all these questions. And Mm -hmm. for me, just don't take their money. And then there's no question, you know, but it is what it is. And, you know, many politicians think that that's just the way that it has to be. But, you know, I think differently.
0: Is that the, the difference between a politician
1: and a public servant? Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: But like, 309 people have donated to my campaign and some of those donations are $2 and some of them are $500 but Mm -hmm. not very many of those but it's like that's how you should fund a campaign you know we have like 250,000 people in the city (coughs) if each of them gave $1 Mm -hmm. that equals the money from developers Yeah, and I know it's harder to get but it's the more meaningful and honest money in my mind where you know you're held accountable only to the people and I feel... (coughs) No, I'm having the worst. I
0: gave it to you, yeah.
1: (laughs) Let me get some water. It's alright. I
0: didn't think I was contagious.
1: (laughs) It's probably just from talking (laughs) too much. Um, And I've totally Mm. forgotten what I was going to say.
0: So if everyone just donated a dollar, it would equal the same... Oh, look at me. (laughs) <laughs> uh, should we just take a cough break? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, so I, it's, it's, it's the way to be held accountable to the people. Oh, that's what I was going to say Okay. to the people is that I've felt that um, temptation when you could get a $1,000 donation from someone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you're like, oh, well, maybe I won't talk about this because this, they maybe won't th- like that and they won't give me money and then you have to really be conscious and check yourself and be like no 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 that's not why I'm doing this
0: yeah yeah um,
1: but it's a real temptation and i kind of from this perspective i understand why people do what they do it's just that you have to get beyond it and raising money is hard and for anyone who's not a sociopath i think it's really difficult to mm-hmm. ask people for money and accept
0: their money and
1: yeah it, you yeah. know and put yourself out there and yeah. um you know, it brings up insecurities and all kinds of things, but asking your support network and your friends and your family and people that used to work with you for money, like, that is, is, you know, the true grassroots fundraising of campaigns. And, you know, I think as people are understanding that they need to be a part of the system and that whole, you know, if you want a democracy, then you have to participate, Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that people understand that that means more than voting. And that means recruiting candidates that you think will do a good job. It means supporting the candidates that believe the the way that you do. It means running yourself sometimes. And I think as more people start to get that idea that they have to be civically active, that it'll be a little bit easier to, to raise money in a public way. And especially, you know, getting public funding of campaigns is a definite help for that and you know it's if you meet certain criteria you get y'all get the same amount from from tax dollars. Oh wow. Yeah. Mm. So there's there's things that we can do to break that system up and mm-hmm. reduce the temptation on candidates to kinda of sell out in order to win. And you know, it's it's kind of a, a double edged sword. To to do good you need to win, but if you sacrifice your beliefs to win, then you won't do good. Yeah. So
0: and at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the day, if you're sacrificing your beliefs, right, I know I wouldn't be happy. No, oh, and so.
1: you know, I, I, I say that, you know, to sometimes to people that are pressuring me to pick one side or the other or do yeah. this or that, you know, it's like if I lose my integrity in the pursuit of this, then I might as well have, uh, then I've already lost. And why did I do this? Yeah. You know, I yeah. I can't change who I am because of this. And uh, you know, obviously you change and grow, but your, your fundamental beliefs about things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They've got to stay the same because that's, that's your core. That's why you're running.
0: Mm, That's how you got your start. That's right. And that's why you're running.
1: But those temptations and those pressures are out there. You know, people wouldn't, wouldn't bend if they weren't. But, um, I think we have to work together to build a better, a better system that doesn't put those pressures on people, but also, you know, we really need to stick to our guns and, And make the tough decisions that we know mean that we're not going to get money or we're not going to get support from a certain group of people. But you got to stay true to what's right.
0: So September twelfth,
1: September twelfth,
0: and Um, then when's the so that's the primary? The
1: primary September twelfth. The general, I believe, is November seventh.
0: Okay, shortly Um, after.
1: Yeah, but like for me, I'm all in for the primary, so I was like. Yeah. Forget about the general. Um, that's, but the,
0: that's the date. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I actually will be on the ballot for the general as well because I'm a Working Families Party candidate, um, designated candidate. So oh, okay. either way, if you're not a Democrat, you can still vote for me in the general on mm-hmm. November 7th. Um, and yeah, that September 12th date is incredibly important. And if you're not registered, definitely get on that. If you've moved... Register, enter a new address, because it gets complicated, and if you go to the wrong polling place, your vote doesn't count.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that's something that a lot of people don't know. Um, if you are not a Democrat, you unfortunately can't vote in this election, even if you re-register. They have Too late. It's crazy. The deadline was October of last year.
0: That's, yeah.
1: Yeah, 11 months before this election, you had to know that you wanted to switch. Mm-hmm. And... Um, but if you do switch your party for next year, um, you have to vote in the November election to make it take effect, which is another loophole that you have sure. to go through. Um,
0: part of me thinks that's good because it gets you to vote, but at the same time, are they just trying to keep people from switching? That's, right. It's
1: it Definitely. Right. It's a preventative measure because they don't mm. want people switching parties to vote for Just candidates. to vote once. Right. Okay. Right. And, you know, it's... If we had open primaries, people would be able to do that. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, it is. It's it's meant to prevent people from switching
0: parties. Wow. Which,
1: yeah, it's
0: uh, uh I I sometimes don't like talking about these things because I think it's just it seems so. It just seems manipulative. I don't know. It doesn't seem ethical to me that they make it uh, so tough on us.
1: Yeah, it's frustrating. But from their perspective, party means a lot. Sure. And, you know, you're supposed to be in a party that aligns with your values and be true to the party and and loyal. And so someone switching into their party to vote for a candidate to them feels wrong because, Mm. hey, you're not in my party and you're going to have a voice in my primary. And that makes sense, except that that's the dominant system. And so you need to have let people have a voice because you know uh, people want to express their desire for a third party system by being in third parties but then they also want to have a voice in the primary of the Democratic Party because that's the only party that gets anywhere so it's it's a, it's a catch 22
0: yeah it seems like it yeah <laughs> but on a positive no yeah. on a good no what, do, what are you most excited about in, in the near future? What's getting you mm. out of bed in the morning?
1: Mm.
0: September is a f- couple months. Of, it's yeah. actually pretty darn I soon. I know.
1: Oh, my God. It's <laughs> and sooner every day. Yeah, two and a half months.
0: Do you, do you have anything immediately? Um, any immediate plans?
1: Let's see. We are, I've got Tuesday, tomorrow. We're having a Frisbee social at Parcel 5 okay. to highlight the amazing place that that could be. I'm a big supporter of Visionary Square, and we've been pushing for that at um, City Council every week, every every month. Next meeting is July twentieth, but this okay. may air in August. So, <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna try to get it out soon because yeah. I have a short grazing period, cool. that I should be able to release this under. But yeah, it definitely won't be out by tomorrow. Right, that sounds super fun, though.
1: Yeah. Um, then July thirteenth, I'm having a fundraiser at Two Vine. Um, and there's going to be a couple of fundraisers coming up in August. I'm sure that people mm-hmm. will be able to, to, to um, keep in touch hear about and that. hear about it. Yeah, MaryLupian.com, by the mm-hmm. way. Is there any other me.
0: place uh, you're on Facebook? My
1: Facebook, yeah, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Everywhere I can be, okay. except for Reddit. The I'm, socials. Yeah, I think I'm too old to understand Reddit. Is it,
0: is it just <laughs> at Mary Lupian?
1: Yeah, at Mary Lupian Rock on all those platforms, okay. and Mary Lupian for City Council on Facebook, and also mm-hmm. Mary Lupian is my personal page. Um, just because of the weird metrics of Facebook, my personal page gets much more action. Um, and mm-hmm. so posting on everything and everything uh, on those Sites and you can watch and see what we're up to. Um, you can join to get email updates on Marylupian.com. Um, but yeah, I'm actually one, one thing that's coming up that I'm really excited about is um, there's going to be some public information meetings about an exciting project at Charles Carroll Park, okay. which is on the west side of the river
0: mm-hmm.
1: behind the federal building and the, Crown, the old Crown Plaza Hotel. And right now it's this stone monolithic cold harsh park with stone walls and weird circular stone seating things Mm. and nobody ever goes there and i saw some designs um the other day for uh an amazing redesign where they're going to take all that out and when you take all that out you can actually see the river you're going to put in bike paths and walking paths and LED twinkly lights, and, you know, they're going to (laughs) be able to show movies off of that pedestrian bridge, Mm -hmm. talking of even putting paddle boats and kayaks in the river there. Wow. So it could be really amazing, (laughs) and not, in my mind, in exclusion of Visionary Square, but an amazing connector Mm -hmm. piece. You know, it's right there down the street from Visionary Square in the future, and then it would connect with Water Street on the other side, and it would Mm just kind of create this green belt and bring vibrancy and More
0: vibrancy downtown. Yeah, and
1: life downtown. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, it's exciting.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. One step closer <laughs> to Portland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I haven't been Portland.
1: I I've been. Um I kind of it's iconic to like what I think a, liv- a livable city looks like.
0: Okay. I've heard yeah, I've heard it's a great city for biking, walking, yeah, public transportation, it's so like
1: the concept of Building a city that people want to live in, mm-hmm. instead of incentivizing people to stay in a city that they don't want to be in, or being stuck in a city that you don't want to be in. You know, in, in Rochester, when you move out of poverty, you move into the suburbs. Yeah. You leave the city behind. Hmm. Let's make a city people want to stay in. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because I, I I love it here, but I'm not at a poverty level. You know, I feel like there's right. a big difference for. A young, a white, young white male adult like right. me versus someone who's raising their family in poverty. So we want to make it happy and loving for everyone.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. Any anything else? Any last words?
1: Vote for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, you know, there's other people that are running that are amazing, and yeah. I just like to shout out uh, Sean Dunwoody. Mm-hmm. He is an art. Activist who works in the community with youth and all those amazing murals that you see up that have positive messages, that's Sean. Um, He also wants to make a difference um, with creative entrepreneurialism, which is just, you know, he and I really have this common uh, idea that we've been working in the community, making a difference, and we have different perspectives and we do things differently than what's always been done. Mm -hmm. And I think that both of us on council would really make Rochester... uh, you know, forward-thinking solutions and just, you know, make good things happen.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Any uh, any other um, activists that you want to shout out or Sean?
1: Mother's Out Front, (laughs) Metro Justice, like, we just have amazing activists in Rochester, so. Awesome. Yeah.
0: And, yeah, I'll I'll throw in the show notes all those links we talked about. And, yeah, everyone can keep in touch with you. Yeah, thank you no matter who they vote for we need everyone to vote september so that's huge right yeah
1: yeah absolutely just get out and vote <laughs> register your friends if they're not registered yeah. you can get registration forms at the board of election downtown at 39 west main street yeah it's important like i said if we want to live in a in a democracy we need mm-hmm. to participate and from the lack of participation it's like 10% in the city of rochester Uh, it's it's no it's no wonder things are the way they are you know we need to step up and, and express our voice
0: thank you mary thank you Thank you so much everyone for supporting the rochester groovecast if you enjoy the show please share it with a friend continue to listen or if you feel ambitious jump on itunes and leave a kind review you Can check out the show notes and keep in touch with mary lupian there thank you so much mary for being on the show listeners you've made it this far thanks a billion i hope this conversation added value to your lives i do hope you vote and continue to support the community. Ben Albert here signing off. Talk to you soon.